Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. So glad to have you at Elevation, all these uh, smiling faces here in person, and, and also everybody that's joining us online. Thanks for being with us. So excited about what God is going to do today and what he's already done so far. We are actually are wrapping up a series today called Fresh Bread, and uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. But just so you know, I have a cough drop in my mouth. Uh, and for some of you, that might be distracting, but I kind of need it to, to lube up the, the pipes here. Because uh, that, what are that, antihistamines? They kind of dry you out a little bit. And so I've been on a little of those. And so I uh, promise I don't have some weird disease, so you don't have to be afraid of me. And for all of you in the front row, awesome, awesome. Uh, but really really excited to finish this uh, series on fresh bread, and I'll get to that um, in just a moment, but I just wanted to say um, how honored and privileged it is to have uh, young people in our church. You know, I just love it. I love seeing so many young faces, and I love watching them participate in the life of the church, and I, I love watching them uh, serve with their gifts, and, and I don't know if you saw Silas up here. And he was playing the, the bass. And I love watching that young man just give his heart to the Lord and use his skills for Jesus. Uh, and so I just want to say, if you're a young person in this room, we love you. And we're so glad that you're a part of our church because we believe that God, not only that you are the future of the church, but you are the church now. And so we're so excited that you're with us. And I just want you to hear that as your pastor, how honored we are that you are a part of what we're doing. Let me pray as we start this morning. God, we all need an on-time word from you. We don't need more things to do. We don't need more religious things, more religious rituals in our life. We ultimately need more of you. And so, God, this series is all about getting fresh bread in our lives. That fresh word from you. And so, Lord, as we open your word this morning, would you give us just that? Because we believe that would be enough. And so, God, we open our hearts and our minds to receive whatever it is you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to kind of catch you up to speed a little bit. Uh, we, this series that we've been in has been in this idea that, that in our lives, depending on where you've come from or where you've been, Sometimes what happens is we're introduced to Jesus. Now, if you're, this is your first time, one, I'm just glad you're here because I believe you're hearing a message that will radically change your whole world if you'll open yourself up to it. But the one thing I do want to zero in a little bit is that probably a lot of the people in here at some point in their life have met Jesus. Maybe at some point you had a moment with Jesus that was so radically transforming, or, or maybe it was like you grew up in a Christian home, but it's just kind of always been there, whatever it is. But what can happen is the bread, so to speak, that we had in that moment that was fresh and new and real and so good, eventually over time becomes stale. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to this, this idea that, that over time, sometimes what happens is our relationship with God gets a little stale? And so we've been talking about that over the last two weeks. And if you've missed any of those, that's okay. I'll catch you up because here are the basic ideas that we've talked about. The first is this. When we feast regularly on the bread of life, which is who is Jesus, we will be filled and we will be satisfied. That is a big deal. That, that somehow the feasting upon the fresh bread of God leads to us being filled and satisfied. Anybody in here don't want to be filled and satisfied? No, everybody wants that, of course. The other thing that we've talked about is that how often our zeal for a variety of things in this world and in our lives can be misplaced, and that misplaced zeal will actually give us stale bread. In other words, the Bible talks about how there's yeast that's put into bread. And when yeast is put into bread, what does it do? It grows, right? It puffs it up. And so what happens is the type of yeast that often we put into our lives can affect our lives. And so if you're putting uh, yeast of the world, so to speak, in your life, it will grow a certain kind of bread. And I believe that bread will eventually be stale. 
But then there's another type of bread that grows in our life when we allow Jesus in. And that bread then can lead to not only fresh bread in the moment, but that it can be an ongoing bread that we all desire that leads to this fulfillment and this satisfaction. And so God wants that for all of us, whether you know it or not today, that's what he wants for your life. He doesn't want you to experience consistent stale bread. And I just, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. Does anybody like to eat stale bread? Oh, it's so good, isn't it? You just, you just bite in. You're like, oh, I, I need some more of that. No, you don't at all because no one wants that. But I love bread, and some of you love bread, and I, I, I don't know. Like, I took a poll over the last few weeks. Does, does everybody, like, anybody hate bread? No one hates bread. It's crazy. Like, I've never, in any of our services, I've never had anybody. Matter of fact, I've even said, you not like bread. Most people are like, yeah, I, I love bread. Or I, I kind of, I mean, you know, I don't hate it, you know. But the end, it, it, people like bread. Like, they just love some bread. So, that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit. Fresh bread. That, that kind of bread that we all are drawn towards. You know, when it's baking, like you just a smell, you're like, mmm, mmm, can I have some of that, right? See, that's the kind of fragrance that Jesus wants in our life. That his aroma, get this, that his aroma in our lives is so fresh, so attractive, that all we want to do is move towards it. Isn't that good? See, that's what Jesus wants. He doesn't need you to, to feel guilty. He doesn't need you to feel obligated. He's not interested in any of those kind of religious behaviors. What he's interested in most is your heart. He's interested in you moving towards him. And so that's what we're going to speak about a little bit. That's what I'm going to speak about for just a few minutes as we kind of jump into this. And, and, and honestly, here's the big idea today, and it's simply this. Remember Jesus. Like, just remember Jesus. Like, as you go throughout your day, remember Jesus. Because the Bible says that when you remember Jesus and you grab hold of the living bread, the bread of life that he describes himself as, what happens is you will then have the opportunity to have fresh bread every day of your life. Yeah. Now, as a church, we practice two sacraments, which is kind of cool. Today, you get to see both. Like, we've done baptisms, and then later on in the service, we're going to have some time of communion. But it's really important that we see this, that communion is a representation, it's, it's a remembrance of something that's very real. Like this is the thing that I think sometimes we lose sight of, is that when Jesus gathered his disciples together, he was talking about something very real. It wasn't just a, an idea that he came up with, uh, you know, as he was out hammering nails into a house. It was something that was very real and very tangible. And so I want to spend a little bit of time dealing with the rest of chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. So I've encouraged you to read John chapter 6. If you've missed any of that, you can go back and read it. You can start reading it. You can start looking at it. You can go back and watch some of the sermons and read through John chapter 6. But everything that we've been talking about is specifically in John chapter 6, okay? And so today I want to zero in a little bit more on uh, chapter 6, verse 35. And, and so I'm going to need your best this morning, okay? I know some of you, you're like, you're, you're already looking tired. And it's like, come on, guys, I've only been up here like six minutes, you know? Well, maybe 10, I don't know. But I need your best this morning. Because let me ask you this. Do you want more of that in your life? Do you want some fresh bread in your life? Well, I believe as we listen and we hear the word of God, that God will bring that into our life if you'll allow it. And so let's, let's jump in here today. I'll do my best if you guys do your best. Deal? All right, here we go. So John chapter 6, verse 35. And I'm just going to start reading through this passage of Scripture. And it's a little longer passage, so stay focused. And Jesus said to them, what? I am the bread of life. You get it? He's pretty straightforward. There are multiple statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am. I am the gate. I am the light. I am the bread. See? And so he compares himself to these variety of things to help us understand who he is. But he says, I am the life. And then he goes on to say, he who comes to me shall never hunger. Whoa. He who believes in me, listen to this, he shall never thirst. I mean, isn't that amazing? Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not 
believe. So he's saying to the people that have been watching him, and matter of fact, they, they just saw him do the feeding of the 5,000, okay? He's saying, you've seen me. You've seen what I do, and yet there's a lack of faith. There's an unbelief. Now, I know that we stand in judgment sometimes at people like that. Like, oh, come on. If I would have seen people, if I would have seen God feed 5,000 people, I would have believed, right? You know what I'm talking about? But, but, but I don't know if that's true. I think sometimes we see miracles that God does, and we just deny it. We just walk right by it. We don't even have eyes to see it. And so, so he goes on to say, you didn't even believe. He says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And so the Father is drawing people, the Bible says, and if those people come, he says, I won't cast them out because the Father's doing it. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he submitted to the Father's will, and the Father's will, ultimately, we know, is that he would go to a cross, and that he would die a brutal death, and that three days later he'd be resurrected. This was his plan. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last days. And so he's talking about the future. He's like, if you're with me, you're with me, and you can count on it. Verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes, notice the word believes, in him may have everlasting life. So what is the expectation? The expectation is that there is a belief that leads to everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last days. And then watch this the Jews that were listening, the religious leaders of the day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which has come down from heaven. Now this is scandalous for what they're saying. I mean, for what Jesus is saying, this is scandalous because the only bread that the Israelites know of that came down from heaven was manna. Manna was the bread that sustained them in the desert for 40 years, and it was a miraculous bread that came down from heaven. And into that context, Jesus says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Can you imagine if you were a Jew? At that moment, you'd probably be turning some tables over, saying, I know you didn't. <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at? So, so they complained against him because of this, this idea that he was claiming to be God or at least some form of deity that could bring the miraculous into being. Verse 42. And they said, Is not this Jesus, <laughs> the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, come on. We know where you come from. We know your neighborhood. We know your people. We know all that about you. And now you're standing up talking to us that somehow you've got the stuff and we're supposed to just believe that? Can you imagine? Can you put yourself in that place? How is this then, they said, that you say, I come down from heaven? We know that's not true. You came from Mary. Physically, we know that. We've seen you doing what you do in the neighborhood. You see? Verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. I always love it when Jesus knows what people are saying when he's not there. Like he's like, I know it's, I even know it's in your heart. So he says, Don't murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You're getting it. He's already said some of that. I will raise him up on the last days. You're seeing this. That it's a consistent phrase. I will raise him up on the last days. There's this idea of resurrection. There's this idea of where you are today, God can do more. In your death, God can bring life. Hear that? And so he says, I will do this on the last days. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. What he's saying in this is that the Bible says everybody will be taught by God, and you now are being taught by me, therefore you're being taught by God. Do you see what he's saying? 
So he says that everybody will, will experience that. They'll hear and they'll learn. And, 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 and the reality of the salvation that comes through me will be real. Verse 46, not that, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, friends, into this context, he is stirring the pot. I mean, it's big time. Like, it's not like he said something that was like, eh. No, he is, he is full force coming at the establishment that existed at the time and saying everything that you've believed, everything that you know is now being fulfilled in me. Now, put yourself in that situation. That's what's going on. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. In other words, you come to me and believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. And then verse 48, I am the bread of life. He says it again. He's not done. He's not, he's not backing off. He says, I am the bread of life. Verse 49, your fathers ate, uh-oh, there it is, see? Your fathers, look at it. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. So now he's bringing it around, this heavenly bread. He says, your fathers ate this manna in the wilderness and are dead. But he says, listen to this. He says, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So he's saying that this manna that you ate, you ate and eventually died. He's saying that this bread, I am the bread, if you eat it, you will actually not die. What's he talking about? Verse five, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh. Okay, Jesus, you've gone too far. So not only are you saying that you're a heavenly bread, that you're, you're greater than all things, you're now saying that we should eat your flesh? Can you put yourself in that? I mean, literally. Like if I was here and you didn't know me and I was like, okay guys, just want you to know today we're gonna just chew on my flesh. You'd be like, I'm out. I don't, I don't have any issue. This guy is clearly out of his mind. Yes? So he says, this bread that they shall eat is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And he's not kidding. Like he's literally saying this. And he goes on and he says this. The Jews, well, the commentary says this. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Which seems like a reasonable question after he said, you should eat my flesh. And then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, this guy is losing it. Verse 54, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last days. Whoa. He's doubling down. He's coming straight at them and he's telling them exactly what it is. And he says, if you don't partake in my flesh, if you don't partake in my blood, if you don't do that, then you will have no part of me. You will not have everlasting life. Friends, I don't know about you, but if I was a Jew sitting in the seats, I would think this guy was nuts. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said, look, Jesus, and he said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus was either a liar a lunatic or Lord. Those are your three options. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Now, you could decide that he's a lunatic, and you could decide that he's a liar. That's your choice. He's not mince words. And, matter of fact, as we go, we'll notice that he doesn't back off either, he keeps going. And so, he's wanting us to see something that's pretty important. And so important that he's willing to alienate and isolate a whole group of people by saying it. Because in his mind, he's right. Because he's saying what's true and what's real. Then verse 45, I mean 55, we're almost done with this passage. 
For my flesh is the food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. That word abides is really important because you hear it earlier. No, actually, no, later. You see it later in John chapter 15. This word abide is actually, I love how the message translates it. To make your home in God. Isn't that good? So, so he's saying, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you now are making, <laughs> you are making your home in me. Wow. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me, feeds on me, will live because of me. This is getting crazy. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your father ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Come on, guys, stay with me. Verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue and taught in Capernaum. So he's saying this in the synagogue. So you get the context. It's Jews. He's talking to Jews. And this is what he's saying. And then watch this. This is where it gets really interesting. He says, these things he said in the synagogue, verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, everybody say disciples. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said this, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? That makes sense, right? If you heard Jesus say it, you'd be like, whoa, that's kind of wacky. You seem a little off of your rocker. He says, the disciples were confused. And then verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that the disciples complained about this, which I love that, he's like, he knew you were complaining. Like he could see it in your heart. He could see it on your face, whatever it was. He says this to them. I love this. He said to them, does this offend you? I love that. Why is that important? Because he doesn't say, do you not understand what I'm saying? Get this. There have been many times that Jesus has said things, parables that he's given, that he responds with, do you not understand? Do you understand this? He said, you do not understand. Well, let me show you. So he tells you, explains the parable to you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've read the Bible a little bit. There's parts of that where he's, he, he says, look, I get it. You don't get it. Now let me help you understand it. That's not what happens here. He doesn't say, let me explain it to you a little bit better because he's pretty sure he's been clear. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the guy's talking about his flesh and he says to him, does this offend you? So he's getting at a completely different thing. He says, does this offend you? And then watch this in verse 62 and 63. What then, if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? Now, what's he talking about? What's he saying? He's saying, okay, look. What if you knew without a shadow of a doubt I was God? Does that make sense? And it sin back to the Father. What if you, without a shadow of a doubt, knew that I was God? Verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Which you're like, wait a second. You just talked about how your flesh was the thing that I needed, and now you're saying that the flesh profits nothing. Jesus, what in the world are you getting at? Now, this is important, because it, you might at that point be like, he's lost it, okay? But have you noticed the context of John chapter 6? He's talking about in the last days. He's talking about that something is coming, that when he goes to this eventual death, he's talking about a life that comes after it. What he's talking about is his resurrected body. This is important. And I know this is complicated, but you got to get it. He's talking about a resurrected body. And what he's saying is that this resurrected body will profit you. In other words, if you're eating my flesh, if you're eating the flesh of a dead corpse, it no longer profits you. You would be therefore a cannibal. But he's saying that this body of mine will be resurrected and that when it's resurrected this body will be brought into the fullness of God's glory and that God's glory will be contained in it and that it through the partaking of that you then will receive life 
Friends, this is important. And so, so we got to get what he's saying, though it's complicated. We've got to understand this. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So he's trying to get you to see that, guys, you've got to get this. This isn't just regular old stuff. This isn't your basics. This is real deal. Get down in the dirt. Understand what I'm saying is that when I say my flesh and when I say my blood, I'm talking about my flesh and my blood in a resurrected form. And through that resurrected form, it now comes into your life and then leads you to grace, hope, love, future, all the things that God wants to bring into your life. Do you understand? This is so important that we get this. So important. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, who they were who didn't believe. He knew. He knew. Like he was like right now, he's standing behind, you don't believe and you don't believe and you don't believe. I know you, oh, you definitely don't believe. He already knew. And then watch this. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless they have been granted it by my father and then this is a sad verse verse 66 from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more do you see what he did he drew a line in the sand and he said this is what's real this is what's real and in many ways, Jesus draws a line in the sand in our lives. And he says, this is what's real. And I'm not backing off. I'm not going to just explain it away so that you can feel comfortable. I'm saying some things that are radical. Because what I'm doing is radical. What I'm doing is solving the problem that no one else could solve. Do you understand? He's doing something that no one else could do. And in order to do what no one else could do, he had to do something that no one else was doing. And so he takes hold of death and he takes hold of sin and he takes hold of everything that we know and he wraps it up into this miraculous moment in history. Friends, this is such an important thing. And so as Jesus draws the line in the sand, the question that you have to ask is, when he says these things, does it offend you? Does it offend you to the point that you want to walk away and no longer be his disciple? Or do you want to press in? And see, friends, my heart for you today is that you'd press in. Because look, you may say I'm delusional, a liar or a lunatic, but I can tell you this, today, without a shadow of a doubt, nothing nothing in me has a hard time saying that Jesus is Lord. Nothing. And so that means I accept Jesus at his word. I don't understand it. I don't fully get it. I don't even know how he fully pulls it off. But here's the thing. I'm not God and I don't need to. But what I do know is what he's told me and explained to me. He's given me enough to believe. And friends, I want to say this to you today. God has given you enough to believe today. You may have all kinds of questions. You may be curious about all kinds of things. But I can, I can guarantee you that the Bible has very clearly said, read Romans chapter 1, that you have been given what you need to be able to put your faith and trust in a God that sent his son for you. Oh, friends, this is good news. And then Jesus said to the 12, I love this. He says, do you not want to go away too? All these other people have left me because of what I've said. And he says to his 12 disciples, do you not want to leave too? And I love Peter. Peter's so good. He says this. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, he's like, where would we go? He says, you have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and listen to this and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Whoa. And so on that good confession, the disciples continue to follow Jesus. And I don't know if Peter was just speaking for the group and the other people were like, what'd you say? <laughs> He's not speaking for me, Jesus. I don't know, but he said it. I didn't say it. No, it wasn't that at all. He just, 
I think Jesus was in a, in a kind of universal way speaking on behalf of the group. He says, I know these guys. I know what they've been through with you. I know where we've been. I know what we've done. And I can speak on their behalf. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that they're in. No doubt they're in. And they believe that everything you said. And, and what I love about this is, do you think Peter fully understood what he was agreeing to? No. He just trusted the one that said it. That's it. And that was enough for him to take a step of faith. Can you say faith? See, because this requires supernatural faith, doesn't it? To believe that Jesus could do this. To believe that somehow in the bread and the wine, that Jesus is mixed into all of that in some way, that through it, we now are experiencing the very presence of God. I don't even get it. I don't fully understand it, but I do believe that the Bible wanted us to see this is not just something that happened in time, but I believe that the Bible wanted us to see it as something miraculous. That every time we come to the table of the Lord, we are coming to something that was miraculous. That Jesus did something that was miraculous. He did something that no one else was doing. And so, miracles were happening all over the place, and then Jesus talks about this miracle... And here's the thing, miracles were happening, yet people that were present still didn't believe it. There was this unbelief that existed, and people began rejecting Jesus. Can you imagine that Jesus was doing all of these amazing things, and the response was to reject him, to say, no, that offends me, I'm leaving. Oh, Lord, could you get me on people who are offended today? I think sometimes that's the rallying cry of this culture. I'm offended. I'm offended. I will no longer talk to you anymore because I'm offended. We're infants quite often in our relationships. We should never be, we should never allow a, a, an offense to lead us to simply break off fellowship with people. We should have enough courage to go to that person and say, can you help me understand what you meant? Because I'm confused by what you said. See what I'm getting at? There's a maturity that comes into that, that we as a people need. And so Jesus says what he says, eat my flesh, all that stuff. People are offended. He says, are you going to leave me too? And the disciples say, absolutely not. We're in. And so Jesus is very clearly saying to us, will you do the same? And here's the thing about this story. These individuals didn't even have the bread of life. So they didn't even have the potential to have fresh bread or stale bread. But they rejected him outright. And so Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life. I am here. I am present. I am real. Do you want it? And we focus in on the thing that keeps getting said over and over again. And it's their unbelief. Why did they not believe? Because it wasn't because they didn't have enough to believe because he had already done some pretty amazing things. But their response was unbelief. They were with him. Listen, Jesus, I am with you till what? You with me? They were with him until the whole flesh comment. They were with him until the whole what? Friends, ask yourself that question. I'm with him until what? I'm with him. How about this? Until it requires something of me that I'm not willing to give. Do you see what I'm getting at? There are so many things in our life that have become idols. Matter of fact, one of the things that Paul encourages us to do as we come to the table of the Lord is direct all form of is 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 to reject all form of idolatry. And so many things in our life have become idols. And how do you know they're idols? Well, if Jesus tells you to do something with them and you don't, it's an idol. Does that make sense? And so, so my friends, it's so important that we see this that 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 Jesus requires something of us as we respond to his free gift. And when we're unwilling to give that thing away, that thing keeps us back from the everlasting life, from the fresh bread that we all want, because it's an aspect of unbelief, and that unbelief leads to a disobedience, and that disobedience leads to stale bread. It's so important that we get this. God, I'm willing to believe you 
as long as it doesn't cost me anything. <laughs> as long as it's a free gift from Jesus. Because that's how we talk about God's grace, right? It's a free gift from God. And it is. There's no doubt. It's a free gift. And you can receive it. But the thing that I know is if you receive that free gift, God wants everything. He wants it all. He wants your whole life. He's not only your Savior, but He's also your Lord. That means He's in charge. You're in His kingdom. And so, so my friends, He wants that from us. And so if it doesn't cost me anything, then maybe I'll follow you, Jesus. Maybe I'll do that. Sure, God, I'll follow you. <laughs> sure, God, I'll follow you. As long as I don't have to surrender what I know. As long as I don't have to step into a place of faith. As long as I could control it, right? As long as I can determine where I go. Lord, I'll follow you as long as I can keep my rights as an American. Right? These inalienable rights, where'd they come from? God. And now you're going back to God and saying, see, I got my rights. And he's like, I gave you those. And now you're pulling that on me. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll follow you wherever, God, as long as I don't have to give up my control, as long as I don't have to give up my rights. God, I'll follow you as long as I don't have to spend, suspend reality. And you're like, what do you mean by that? I don't understand it. I don't understand. When Jesus says, this is my flesh, this is my blood, he doesn't change it. He, he isn't unequivocal. He, he doesn't water it down. He says, this is what it is. And I'm just saying to you, I, I have to somehow suspend reality to believe that. Because last time I checked, that's bread. And that's juice somewhere I mean it is so in some ways I have to suspend reality to believe in faith come on super substantial faith to believe that this stuff is real it is a faith journey God never said okay I'll give you all the facts and then you can believe no he says the only thing that pleases me is faith and so you come to me in faith and whatever's on the other side of that faith is good. Even if you don't think it's good, whatever's on the other side of that is good. And, and because I'm good, you are willing to put your life into that and believe that I have something for you that God wants to do. Amen. Jesus, thank you. And then some of us say, no way, I'm out. That's too much. Is it? Is it too much? This is the same Jesus that was willing to give his life for you. Can you imagine a friend sitting next to you that was willing to give their life for you? Would you not try to honor them with your life? And Jesus Christ, the son of God, came into the world and he gave you this gift. And he says, will you not receive it? And not only will you not receive it, but will you not take it in and believe that everything I've said is true? And so back to the big idea when we feast regularly, come on, on the bread of life, we will be filled and we will be satisfied. And so today, friends, we have to remember who Jesus is. You know what the Bible says he is? He's the bread of life. You want fresh bread in your life? You come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, you'll find exactly what you need. You need to learn to feast on the bread of life. And how do you do that? I'm gonna give you two very practical ways that you do it. Number one is you feast on his word. Why are preachers always telling you to read the Bible? Because we want you to, like we get like tickets in heaven because we stand up here and scream to the, to, to, you know, till we can't see anymore. Read your Bible, read your Bible. You know, pastor, I know, read your Bible. Like my kids say that to me sometimes, you know, like when you say do this, they're like, I know. Well, then why didn't you do it? I know. Feast on the word. Don't tell me you know. Do it. See, what, that's how you get fresh bread. Read it. And if you don't understand it, keep reading it. Eventually you will. But you got to stay in it. It's like working out. And then finally, not only do we need to feast on the word, but we need to feast on his body and his blood as we come to communion this morning.
This is not just some ritual of the church. This is an encounter who gave everything for us. And I believe that contained in this moment is an opportunity where heaven and earth come together and we have an opportunity to interact with the God that created all things. And so friends, as we come this morning to a time of communion, I encourage you to prepare your hearts to not only feast on the word, but to feast on the blood and the body of Jesus that you might receive the grace that comes from that interaction. And then here's my last thing. Return for seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths. Keep coming back because when you do, you'll have the fresh bread that God wants you to have. And so we're invited to this mystery. I need to take a drink, guys. Hold on. We're invited to this mystery. We're invited to this blessing. Listen to the way, I love the way Paul says it. Listen. The cup of blessing. Notice that. The cup of blessing, verse 16. Do you bring it up? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Watch this. The cup of blessing which we bless. Now, there's a lot contained in that because it reflects back to the Passover. But listen to what he says. The cup of blessing which we bless, which we're about to do, it is not the communion, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And then he says, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Listen, what he's saying is, the cup of blessing which we bless is communion with the blood of Christ. The cup of blessing which we bless is communion with the body of Christ. Yes, yes, amen. Because that's what we need. Do you need more stale bread? Do you need more things to do? Do you need this, that, and the other thing? No, what you need is the fresh bread. You need the living bread in your life. I don't need more rituals in my life. I need an encounter with the living God through Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. And so when we come this morning to the table, that's what we have the opportunity to come to. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for your word this morning. As your word says, it's a hard teaching. It's not an easy thing to get our brain around. Just leave it. It's not an easy thing to get our brain around. But we believe that you are a, mer a miracle working God. And so, because of that, we know that nothing is impossible with you. And so, God, we don't put our faith in the physical. We put our faith in the spiritual. We put our faith in you, the God that is over and above all things, the God that is more than able to do all things. Friends, do you believe that today? Do you believe in a God that's able? Do you believe in a God that is able to do greater things than you're currently experiencing? Do you believe in a God that can do something in that situation that you don't know what to do in? Do you, do you believe in a God that can make a way in the desert when there was no way? And if you do, then could you put your faith and trust in him once again and believe that he wants to interact with you? I want to invite you to open your eyes just for a moment. As we come to the table this morning, we have a chance to remember the sacrifice of our precious Jesus that said things and did things that no one else said or did. You know, Jesus is unique. 
Like all the other religions in the world say all kinds of things. But the one thing that Jesus says that nobody else says and that is unique and exclusive to Christianity is that three days later, he was resurrected from the dead. See, as we come to the table, we have the opportunity to experience the resurrected body and blood of Jesus. And that's life for each one of us. And so my heart for us today is that we would step into that reality. I want to read something to you that the Apostle Paul wrote probably in 50 AD, around that time. So Jesus, you kind of, you know, AD, after death of Jesus, it's about 50 years after Jesus had died. He wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. So he's not delivering something that he, that he made up. He's delivering something that the Lord gave to us and gave to him. He said that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And this is what the Bible says. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body, which is broken for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he says, for as often as you eat, this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and so perhaps he poured some of the wine into a cup and as he did he identified that cup with his blood and he said through the breaking of my body and the shedding of my blood you and me have the opportunity to encounter God to experience life with God, to be in relationship with a God that made you and loves you, and it comes right at this moment. But then Paul says something. In verse 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup, this cup of the Lord, in an unworthy manner, is guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord and then he says this, but let this man or woman examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup as he examines himself. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you. 31. For if, he says, for if we would judge ourselves, stop. What the Bible is saying is that we need to judge ourselves. We need to examine our own hearts. Before we start casting judgment on everybody else in the world that's doing all these bad things, many of whom don't know any better, we need to start looking at ourselves. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. And so what I want to do for a moment is offer a prayer of confession. Because this is not about feeling bad about anything or I can't come to the table because I'm a sinner. Welcome to the club. We're all part of that group. But what we can do is examine our own lives and say, God, where do you see areas of my life that need to, to be honoring to you that aren't? And so I'm going to pray for us. Will you pray with me? God, I ask that you would examine our hearts right now as we come to the table. Our heart is never to take this or to receive this in an unworthy manner. 
We don't want to receive judgment from it. We want to receive grace. We don't want to receive weakness and sickness or death. We want to receive life, fresh bread. God, that's what we want. And so, Lord, we confess to you. We confess to you anything in our lives that needs to be confessed. God's not looking for a list. He's looking for an attitude. Do you have a posture of contrition? Do you say, Lord, I need you. I'm sorry. God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart this week. And we need your help. Would you forgive us? Now, just for a moment, as we continue to pray, I want to ask you a question. You may be here today and you would honestly say that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to pray for you specifically because the Bible says that you can. And all you need to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is. And as you do, not only will you become a follower of Jesus, but you will be worthy of being able to come to the table. And so I want to pray for you. What I want to do for just a moment is offer this prayer of salvation. And so if there's anybody in here today that would like to take that step, what I'd like for you to do on the count of three, no one's looking around on the count of three, I'd like for you to lift your hand up as a sign of your desire. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to lead the whole congregation in a prayer. And so if you're here today and you'd like to take that step of faith into a relationship with Jesus, I want to ask on the count of three that you raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Go ahead. Raise your hand up. God bless you. Good, good, good. I see hands going up. Anybody else? All right, church. You can put your hands down. I'd like everybody to pray this prayer together collectively. If you raised your hand, also pray this prayer with me. Just repeat these words. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. I confess my sins to you. Will you be my Savior and my Lord? I choose to follow you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.